How many friends do you have? <laughs> how many of you know how many friends you have? If you're on Facebook, you know how many friends you have. <laughs> Is that anything that we need to address there? No. All right. The average, friend, uh, the average person on Facebook has two to 300 friends. Actually, how many of you are on Facebook or somebody in your house is on Facebook? I'm just curious. All right. All right. Probably the, the majority of, of you here. You know, it's one of those things that you kind of watch to grow over time, and I cleared a thousand friends recently. Did you guys know that? Man, I, that was awesome. I mean, I have, a, I have a thousand friends. I'm a good guy. You know, I know I got so many close friends. Are those really, truly friendships? <laughs> I've got a friend of mine who, about a couple of weeks ago, had probably the average two to three hundred friends. And I checked on Friday, and now he has 47,000 friends. And then I checked this morning, and he has 48,500 friends. And I wonder, how can you get that many friends in that short a period of time? You have to win The Voice. (laughs) Have you guys seen the show The Voice? Josh Kaufman, the guy that won The Voice, was somebody that Shannon and I went to to college with. And uh, up until a few weeks ago, we just, you know, were friends on Facebook. And all of a sudden now, he is just... Like, got, you know, he wasn't even on Twitter, and now he's got 30, 40, 50,000 Twitter followers plus. And you kind of go, what is friendship? And what determines friendship? And a lot of times it's not friendship, is it? It's just acquaintances. And many times it's not even acquaintances, especially in a case like Josh. It's just people kind of wanting to follow you, wanting to know what you're up to, just kind of watching your life, wanting to hear from you. Well, today I want to talk about what does real friendship look like? We're in this series that we've been in for several weeks called Facade. And the idea of the of facade is that there is this wall that we build up, and we know the facade on buildings is the outside, is what you see. But the facade with people is the front that we want to present to others. And it doesn't always really show what is truly going on inside. And many times we show a false front. And, and what happens with friendships, and what happens especially as we're talking about uh, online friendships, when we talk about this persona that we have out there, we can project to be anything that we want, right? I mean... There's actually this thing that I read about this week that some people have to get psychological treatment for selfie addiction. You know, selfie, newly added to the dictionary. There's some people that wake up in the morning and they just spend their whole day trying to get the perfect picture of themselves to put up on Facebook or on on their profile. And come on, how many of you have taken that selfie? Oh, that picture was taken, wasn't even, you know, I don't know how that picture got taken. I wasn't even looking. (laughs) Oh, but it's so perfect, I'm going to make it my profile picture, right? Or you've got to take it again and again and just get that right angle until you look cool enough and good enough and beautiful enough and pretty enough, and then you post that picture, and then you wait to see how many people are going to like my profile picture. Isn't that sick? Narcissism in its worst form, and I think many of us have been there and have done that to different degrees. But what happens is we get to put this image out there that we want others to think about us and our friends to see, because... Again, isn't Facebook essentially about your friends and the people that know you and what you're trying to show them about you and your life and who you are? And we can even take beautiful pictures of sunsets and then add a filter effect to it to make our sunset even more beautiful than anyone else's sunset so they are jealous about the kind of life that we live. It's quiet in here. (laughs) 
It's a little close to home, huh? That meal that you have, if you frame it just right, you can make that dinner at that restaurant look so much better than the meal that your friends are eating at home. And that vacation that you went on looks so much better. And so this is supposed to be the basis of our friendships in the modern age, in the online age, in the media age. Now, I don't knock Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I like Facebook and uh, Twitter and, and, and other social media. It's a great way that I do think that we can connect. But sometimes I think it's a false it's a false friendship. And it really keeps friendships at a very surface level. And I think it, it deceives us into thinking that we have real friendships, that we have depth or that we know people. And, and, and how in the world can you stay connected to several hundred people and keep up with their lives and what they're doing? And I think we're just being infused with so much information from so many people. But do we really have depth with any of these friendships? Do we really have truth behind any of these friendships? I'm sure there are some. But it looks different in this day and age with friendships. And what does this effect of this facade on friendships have? When we kind of create this image that we want, when we kind of just only share the things we want others to see about us and know about us, what begins to happen is actually isolation. And even though we think we have a lot of connections, we are connected to many people, it's really just pseudo-friendships. And instead of deep friendships, they're really just acquaintances. But I think one of the things behind this whole idea of facades that we've been talking about for weeks, and I appreciated my father-in-law sharing last week about some of the brokenness and hurt that we often try to cover up and hide. That's the thing. We try to cover up and hide. We don't want people to really know what's going on inside. We don't want them to really know who we are, our past, what we've done. And so now we can just kind of make it all pretty and put it out there and go, like me for this. And in the end, we may have friends on Facebook, but we might not have any true friends. And how do we get behind that? How can we stop being so isolated? But at least we have church, right? At least we gather here in church, and here is where true friendships are formed, right? This morning I asked somebody, how are you doing, Deborah? And she said, do you want the, do you want the quick answer or the real answer or something along those lines? Do you want the church answer or do you want the real answer? And that was a great, I was like, how did you know what I was talking about this morning? And then I felt obligated. I was like, I said, now I really have to find out what's going on, right? How many times do we do that? What's going on? How you doing? It's church. Everything's fine. Just, you know, set up and do your thing and, and go drop your kids off, have a snack and go home. But even at church, we sometimes long for some true friendships and we put this facade up and it's superficial. Hi, bye, the greeting time. That's the most some of you interact with people in church is the greeting time. And it's when somebody says, say hi to somebody next to you, (laughs) right? Is that what community is? Is that what church is? Let me ask you some questions here. How do you know you don't have true Christian friendships? Let's see if this message might apply to some of you. So here's some things you you can check off or find out about yourself. The only interaction you have with the people you worship with on Sundays is Sunday. There is no one at church who knows your deepest struggle. You've not had a meal or a coffee with someone from church in the last month. You've not been in the home or had someone over to your home from church. Maybe even ever. You've not prayed with someone from church about an issue important in your life. You've not talked about a biblical or spiritual issue with someone from church. What's crazy is I think that's true for some of us. Some of these statements are very true for some of us. And we are a church. We are to be the body of Christ. One of our values here at One is belonging. We say belong, believe, become. 
Belonging is about being in community. It's about being known. And yet we settle for these facades that just kind of our church face, our friendly face of church and passing, and we could maybe even be in church together for years and have never really gotten to know anybody at a deeper level, and we've settled for surface-level relationships. How do we go deeper than that? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. True belonging, community, Christian friendship beyond the facade. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a time to be able to talk about this important issue. While we talk about friendship, God, it really is the issue of the church, your body, your people. Father, I thank you for some of the deep friendships that have formed here over the years. And God, I pray for those that are struggling to find friendship, somebody who really knows them at a deep level and who they can share life with. And I pray, God, that this morning would be a step for us to, to really learn and discover what it can look like when we're real with each other and find friendship with you and with one another. Amen. While I was away this, this week, I was reminded again of the importance of story and of the importance of each other's story. Now, I, I told you earlier uh, during the announcements that in this global pastors group that we meet with pastors from, from all over the world. And this time there was 10 of us together. And we've been together over the last several years, meeting sometimes for a week and in different places. We've met in Hamburg, Germany, and Beirut, Lebanon, and Cape Town. And, and it's fun to spend this week together and really getting to know each other. But between these meetings every year, a lot of time happens. And we don't, you know, we're all busy leading our churches in different countries, doing things. So we don't always get to connect. And then when we come back together, it's time to catch up. And the facilitator of our group, the pastor that puts that together, created the agenda. And on one of the, on several of the nights, he had this agenda item called story catching. Term I don't really use very often, but what he wanted to say was we need to take time to just catch up again on each other's story. And so we just had some time, no time limit set on it. We got together, we had this, this room that was set aside for us. We just go around and the guys began to share what was going on in their life since last year. And it's amazing when you stop and when you slow down and you hear of some of the great things that are happening, some of the exciting things happening in their ministry or with their family or things they've gotten to do. Others, dealing with difficulty, dealing with depression, dealing with real difficult challenges, illnesses, others celebrating a new birth or a new adoption. And so we catch up on each other's story, and I realize it's so important that we really want to create connections with one another. We've got to know each other's story. And so in the framework today, as we talk about um, friendship, I want to look at it through the lens of story, that friendship is really about somebody knowing our story and us knowing their story. And when we share in each other's stories, that's where the true bonds of friendship are formed. So I ask you this question, who knows your story? Who knows your real story, right? Not just the one that we want to put out there, but who knows your real story, your past story? And who knows your unfolding story as it's happening right now? This is what friendship is all about. And what I want to look at today is, is Jesus. Go figure. We're in church, I'm going to talk about Jesus, Okay. Jesus was the master, and he's the one that we look to. And when we talk about how he developed relationships, how he developed friendships, and the kind of friendship that he forms with us, we're gonna, I want to look at four key elements that he embodied in building relationships with others. And I think that we are to embody when we build true relationships with people that we know. And so I want to look at, again, four different elements that are essential to moving from acquaintances to true friendship. 
The first one is this, acceptance. If you want to have a foundation for building friends and having friends and building a relationship, it has to be built on acceptance. And one of the best terms that I think Jesus, uh, titles that was ever given to Jesus was that Jesus was a what? A friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. The Son of God was given the title and was called friend of sinners. And you think if anybody was not going to have friends with only, you know, would only have friendships with certain people that are just like them, that hold just the same values, that live life perfectly and do everything just right, you think, well, that would be the Son of God. He could only be friends with a certain group of people. And yet he is known to be a friend of sinners. To come alongside people and just to show this crazy acceptance of people. It didn't matter where their journey took them. It didn't matter what story they had. He would accept them. And I think this is where true friendship begins, is by being willing to be accepted. But so many of us fear that if our story is ever known, or if we would ever share the true story, we won't find acceptance. And maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe there are people that, that won't have that acceptance but we're really called to this radical acceptance. When you think about Jesus stepping in, there was this woman caught in the act of adultery and she's dragged in front of a crowd ready to be stoned for her sin. Jesus doesn't condemn her. Actually, he stands and he protects her until all the accusers are gone, until all those who wanted to condemn her. And he says, woman, look, where are your accusers? They were all gone. And he said this, neither do I condemn you. She had just sinned blatantly. She was caught in that act. And yet some of us, when we sin, we want to retract from God. We want to pull away from Him. But what Jesus does, He says, no, I want to come closer to you. Right in the midst of the garbage, of the darkness, and I'm going to show radical acceptance and love. Of course, He then also told her, then go and sin no more. But He sent her on His way after having shown this radical, radical acceptance. And it's a very, it's a beautiful thing to see that. We have facades of shame and embarrassment and guilt. I can't tell you over the years of being a pastor how many stories I've heard of people who've just broken down and begin to spill their guts about some things in their past. I've had people tell me, I've never told anyone this before. Have you ever been told that? If you get told that before, that's a weight that some people are carrying. I've never told anyone this before. And it's almost like they're bracing themselves. Like, I don't know, can I trust you? Am I going to find acceptance? Am I going to find condemnation? And it's amazing to me how many people have carried something around for years and years and years and years and years. And they come to a point where it's finally like, I've got to tell somebody. I've never told anyone this before. And they're looking for acceptance. We need to be places and we need to be the kind of friends that can offer radical acceptance to the people around us. And here's the thing, we've got to be willing to risk too. We've got to be willing to be vulnerable and not just put up this beautiful facade and that everything's okay and life is going fine. We've got to really be willing to to, to find somebody and say, hey, can I tell you a little bit more about what's going on? I told you we're going to talk about this in in light of story. And here's the thing. Jesus knows and cares about our story, and he still loves us. That's the thing. He knows where you've been, what you've done, and he still loves us. And now we've got to show that kind of friendship to others. How can we show that kind of acceptance? And here's a phrase that I think, I think we all need to learn if we want to develop friendships, and it's this, this phrase. Tell me your story. Met with somebody earlier this week, had coffee with him. I said, I just want to, I just want to hear your story. Tell me your story. I've, I've never met anyone that really doesn't want to share their story. Now, there's parts of their story they may not want to share. But when you take the time, when you take the interest, and you just say, I just want to hear. Because that's how you begin to create connections with people. 
is when you hear each other's story and you begin to go back and you learn, man, there's similarities here. There's things that we've shared and, and even bad experiences, good experiences. We hear each other's story. We take an interest in one another. I don't know if you guys watch late night television. I like, uh, I like Jimmy Fallon. I've, 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 I enjoyed Jay Leno for years, but now I'm happy to see Jimmy Fallon in that role. Any of you guys watch Jimmy Fallon at all? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Letterman fans? You're in bed already? <laughs> watch TV at all? All right. Well, Jimmy Fallon is a huge hit, and, and, and like a lot of talk show hosts, though, they, they really have to be good at dealing with their guests. And here's what somebody wrote about Jimmy Fallon. People rarely, rarely care how interesting you are, but always care how interested you are. How interested are you in the lives and gifts of those around you? Jimmy Fallon shows us that making others the focus is not only wise, but enjoyable. So many of us wonder why we don't have friends. and We want everyone to always get interested in our lives. But it's about beginning to show interest and taking interest in someone else's life. Tell me your story. And then when you hear that story, to offer acceptance and just to go, that's your story. I mean, I didn't write it. I didn't create it. It is what it is. And I accept you for who you are. That's the story that's been written with your life and that has brought you to this point. And that's how Jesus dealt with the people around him. It was acceptance. Tell me your story. And the thing is, he already knew the story. But Jesus did more than hear the story. We've heard some of each other's stories. We've known those things in the past. And we go, oh, I heard that story. I know that person. No, that's just step one. Jesus moved from acceptance to presence. Jesus entered into the story of the people that he was walking with. He didn't just settle for kind of knowing about it or speaking, telling them some things. He entered into their story. He became a part of it. And we talked about this a few weeks ago with Zacchaeus, right? This tax collector that, again, that was not accepted by most people around him. Jesus walked up to him. He knew who he was. He knew what he'd done, the acceptance. And then he said, what? Let me be a guest in your house. And he said, I want to spend some time with you. And he took the time to really enter into his story, showed the acceptance, and he showed that he was going to take time with people. We talked again a couple weeks ago around the same topic about the importance of the table. You know how Jesus spent a lot of his time with people? Eating. It's a great thing to do, eating. How many of you love to eat? Right? How many of you eat three times a day, five times a day, snack in between? There's so many opportunities to meet with people, and something magical happens when you sit around the table. And Jesus took time to get present with people, to be in their homes, sitting at their table, or maybe, you know, today it means going out to eat, spending time and saying, tell me your story. Let me, let me spend some time. Let me get to know you. And not just your past and what you've done, but what's going on in your life right now and getting around the table with people other than just your family. When was the last time you had a meal with somebody other than your family where you really sat down and said, hey, we're here not just on business, not to talk about whatever, but to really just spend time together? When was the last time you had another family or another couple or another person that you've invited to dine with you at your house? It's a lost art in this country, isn't it? Our home, I could never have anybody at my home if you saw my home. It's intimidating sometimes. And we think we have to, again, present even a facade at our home. We get it all the time. You know, I want, it to, I want our home to look like we don't have children. That's almost impossible to do, right? We've got four kids that tear it up. And when we invite somebody over, we want it to look like, oh, our house is always like this. You know, and so we sometimes feel that pressure. But, but my wife was just telling me, too, that, you know, one of our friends that helped remove some of this pressure a few years ago about hosting and somebody who was very hospitable. She said, you know, when I have people over my house, I used to not be able to do that because I was so nervous and then I had to try to get everything ready and everything looked good. 
said right now, there's two things if I want to have people over our house. I want to have a clean enough area where we can sit and talk, and I want to make sure that the toilet seat's clean. <laughs> it's not a high threshold, is it, to have people over your house? To be willing to say, yeah, it's not totally picked up. I know it's not always in the best shape, but I want to have you in my home. Take the step. Maybe today, that's just your simple challenge. Invite somebody over your home and get present with them. Be willing to walk through them through the difficult times. But Jesus wasn't just eating with them. He served them. He took presence to another level. And for friendships to be really true and authentic, there's a serving element. There's a serving component. And and Jesus, it says that he was gathered with his disciples at a meal. He was eating. And then he got away from, stepped away from the table. And then scripture says this in John chapter 13. He was going to show them the full extent of his love. You go, what's the full extent of his love? I mean, if Jesus is going to show them, show them now the ultimate expression of his love, what's it going to be? And he takes off his outer garment, and he puts a towel around his waist, and he pulls up the wash basin that was left for the servants to wash people's feet. And he bends down in front of his disciples, and he kneels down, and he begins to wash their feet. He served them. Friendship is about really pouring into each other, not just the, the, the in passing high and by, but really saying, how can we serve one another? And it says that Jesus said, this is an example for you. Go and do likewise. Go and serve and wash each other's feet. Get close and be a part of, of what's happening in the lives of others. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is where friendship is really important. Again, it's not just about having them take interest in you, but begin pouring into other people and watch what happens when you serve. And when you become present and you really know about the ongoing part of their story, not just what was, but what are they dealing with right now. And let me ask you this question. Who right now knows what you are struggling with? Who can pray with you? And how are you present with your friends? So there's this acceptance. Jesus knows our story. There's presence. He enters our story. And this is probably pretty true of a lot of friendships, whether Christian or not, right? You want a friend who accepts you. You want a friend who's going to spend time with you, who's present with you. But here's a marked difference where I believe Christian community and Christian friendships part company. Truth. And this is where many of us drop the ball in relationships when it comes to truth. Jesus never spoke around our issues. He always spoke into them. He was never afraid to really deal with the issues and the problems at hand and to speak truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said he is truth. So just by his presence, he was truth in those situations. But as scripture says, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. And see, when we have the kind of friendships that are willing to speak truth into our lives, we begin to find freedom. Many times we just try to surround ourselves with friends who are just going to like okay the things that we're already doing. And we just want them to bless the things that we're already involved in. But what Christian friendship is about is, is finding friends who are willing to speak the truth in love. The hard truth. Sometimes the things that we don't want to hear. Are the friendships and time you are spending together with your friends drawing you cro- closer to Christ or further away? Now, this isn't to say that we don't have friendships with people who aren't believers. I'm talking about trying to find a core of friendships that really grow us as individuals, that really transform us. And in this circle of friends, or in the circles of friends you have, who is bringing you and drawing you closer to Christ? 
I've seen it happen in the church where even friendship circles that are formed around small groups, when they lose the centrality of Christ and just become a social gathering and just become friends that hang out and do things together, can actually pull each other away from the very foundation of what formed them in the first place. Instead of bringing each other closer to Christ, they pull each other away from Christ. They begin attending worship less. They begin serving less. They begin giving less. They begin living less in the light of Christ. Christ-centered friendships draw us closer in to Christ. After spending a gathering or a night out with your friends, do you feel more motivated and strengthened to live for Christ? Or are you more discouraged spiritually? Or do you have more to repent from? Who is speaking truth into your life? If truth is a real essential element of friendships, who is speaking truth into your life? Who are you listening to? I mean, there's been people um, who've been going through difficulties in relationships or in marriages, and, and it's amazing to me when some of them come to me and they tell me what their friends are saying out in the world, the friends at work, the friends at school, the friends out there, and it's just opinions. And, there's, and, they're, and they're just using the best of their judgment and wisdom. Oh, you should, just, you should just divorce him. You should just divorce her. You should just move on with your life. You'll just be so much happier. And it's not even based on any kind of truth or any kind of foundation or any kind of seeking of the word of God. And we have to ask ourselves, who's speaking truth into our lives? Who's really going to hold up the scriptures and say, you know what? I don't have the wisdom to answer this question for you, but what does God's word say? And how can I help you walk according to God in his plan? You've heard of the term accountability partner, maybe? Do you have any, anyone in your life who you have given permission to to speak truth into your life? Now, you can't appoint yourself as someone else's accountability partner. Don't do that. That never works, right? <laughs> We try to do that a lot, right? I'm going to hold you accountable. I didn't ask you to hold me accountable. I mean, sometimes we still have to speak the truth and love, and it hurts, and people will reject it, and sometimes you see somebody going the wrong direction, and you say, they may reject this, but I'm going to speak truth. But what we can do is we can invite accountability into our life. And maybe the very thing that you're struggling with, maybe some things where you say, you know what, I want you to hold me to a higher standard. I want you to ask me about this issue that I've got going on in my life. I want to ask you how I'm treating my wife. I want to ask you if I'm spending time in God's word. I want to ask you how I'm doing with purity. I want you to ask me how I'm dealing with this addiction or whatever it might be for you. When you invite that and somebody speaks truth into your life, that's a deepening of a friendship that goes well beyond the surface layer and it begins to actually grow your your faith and relationship in Christ. Now here's a part that really takes it even another step deeper and it's confession. Now, where does, what's the appropriate place for confession? You did something, something's up, you got some heaviness in your heart, and you pray to God. That's a good, good place to go. You ought to confess your sins to God. You should go maybe kneel and pray after, you know, during worship or pray with somebody or at home or confess your sins to God. But you know what Scripture also says? Who we are to confess our sins to? Each other. Ugh. That does not sound like fun. Should we have a little confessional time right now? Oh, the microphone's on. Yeah, let's just come up one after another and <laughs> confess our sins. No, I don't know that it has to be done. It doesn't need to be done publicly. But in, John, uh, in James chapter 5, verse 16, James 5, 16, it says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, if we keep the facade up, if we don't ever let somebody really know what's going on, if we don't ever let anyone speak truth into our lives, we hide those things, we can't be healed. And one of these authentic things about being a church, about being a body, is to find a person 
or a group of people where you can find that trust, that acceptance, that presence, and then really take the chance and the risk to say, I want to confess something to you because I want you to pray for me. And when we explode those secrets, when we explode those things that we've been hiding, it's amazing the power that, of healing that comes. And it's amazing the bond of friendship that's formed when we, when we take risks of vulnerability like that. Truth is a powerful thing when it comes to friendships. Acceptance, presence, truth. And then the last thing that I want to look at, and there's probably many, many more, but it's longevity. It's longevity. When I think about Jesus and the relationships that he had and the promise that he makes to us, it's that friendship and his presence stood the test of time. He writes a new story with us. See, friendship is about knowing the story. It's about entering the story and being a part of it. It's about speaking truth into each other's stories. But then it's about writing a story together. And I wonder how many of us are part of each other's story. How many of you have a friend that when you tell your story, that person is an integral part of your story and has walked with you and has stuck with you and goes through it with you? Jesus is like that. Think about the disciples. Right? He spent all this time with them. He's spending day in, day out with them for three years. He's walking with them. He's eating meals with them. He's teaching them. He's growing in this relationship together. And then what do they do just before he's crucified? Deserted him. They split. One betrays him. Peter, right, his right-hand guy, denies that knowing him three times. And ultimately, Jesus is left utterly alone. Where are his friends? Nowhere. If that happens to us, we are done with those friends, right? We're done. We're not going back there again. They ditched us. They betrayed us. They abandoned us. Time to find some new friends. What does Jesus do? He's hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. Now, this is where I drop the ball. It's one thing to be a friend with somebody who's present with you, who's serving you, who's willing to speak truth into you, but what if a friend hurts you? What if a friend betrays you? We move on. We get bitter. We get angry and we find new friends. And what happens is we start over and over again with all these surface level relationships. But you know where the bond of friendship is often formed? It's through the confrontation. It's through the difficult time. Jesus, after the resurrection, I love this scene. You know, the fisher, the disciples are back fishing. They're out on the lake. And then you know, they're, they're fishing through the night, and, and in the morning, as, as, as the sun is maybe coming up, they, they see that there's somebody out on the shore, and there's a fire going, and it's Jesus making breakfast for the disciples who have betrayed him, who have abandoned him, who have denied him. He's making breakfast for them, and they come back to shore, and basically Jesus just has some time with them. And he has this conversation with Peter, and he begins to ask him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes. And there's this restoration of a relationship. And Jesus went through that difficult time but was willing to restore a relationship. And what we see in Peter is such a marked difference in who he was from before and after. Before the uh, crucifixion and after the resurrection. Because I think, I think just knowing he'd betrayed Jesus but that Jesus forgave him and reinstated him and restored him, gave him this new lease on life. And Jesus is about giving us a new story. And when we're part of somebody else's life, we get to write that new story with them and to watch them and watch each other go through these difficult times and to say, you know, that was tough. We almost blew it. We got in each other's face. It was tough. 
but we stuck it out. And then Jesus goes and he gives them the great commandment. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and know this, I am with you always, even until when? The end of the age. That's longevity. That's the kind of relationship we have with Christ. He's willing to go with us always, to always be with us. But what I love is in that great commission too, not just staying with us, he gives them a new assignment. And when we have the kind of friendships that really grow us spiritually, that connect us, we're going on a new assignment. We have a new mission. And he sends them to, to write a new story. And they're, they're going together now. They're telling the world about Christ. And they're changing people's lives. And they're going on these adventures. And, and through this friendship with Christ, they're writing a new story. And I think that's, again, what happens with us. When we find a group of people, when we are the body of Christ, and we really come and, and recognize here is a place of acceptance. You can actually share some of the garbage that, that's gone on in your life. I can almost guarantee you that if you share what's gone on with you in your life, I'm not going to be surprised. My poker face is pretty good with some of the stories I've had to hear before. Some of the difficulty that's gone on. But there's a relief that comes. And maybe you find a place to share. Maybe in, in the women's group. Maybe in your small group. Maybe in the men's group. Maybe just with one other person. And, and you risk this revealing. And you risk being accepted because this is a place of acceptance. I've seen it time and time again how we as a church have accepted people from whatever background, wherever you come from, to say this is a place where you can find acceptance. But we're not just going to accept you and leave you in that way. We're going to come alongside you. Presence. We want to walk together. That's why I keep saying it's not enough for you to just to be here on Sunday mornings and not know anybody. That's not what the church is about. You've got to get into relationships and walk together when times get tough so you can pray for one another, care for one another, look after one another. But even more than that, we want to speak truth into each other's lives and we want to be there for the long haul. We want to practice forgiveness. I'm going to say something that's going to offend you. I guarantee you. You know, you come listen to me long enough on a Sunday morning, you're not going to agree with something. We're going to get together and and I'm going to lose my cool and and, and maybe I'll say something that that, that I need to apologize for later. Or you're just not going to... Like me, you're not going to like somebody else. Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to forget your birthday. It happens in church. But if we're going to have kind of friendships that really grow deep and get beyond the first point of tension, we've got to be willing to engage, to have forgiveness, and stay with it for the long haul. Now, I, had a, uh, I have a friend, and his name's Owen. And uh, he really embodied and embodies these four elements for me of a, of a, of a friendship. I remember meeting uh, Owen years ago. I was a youth pastor in, in Indiana and on staff there at the church, and him and his wife and family started attending the church, and we quickly began a, a friendship. And there was this acceptance and sharing of stories and this kind of stuff, and being over each other's house and presence, spending time together. And, uh, it, but, but the relationship was also on another level because I was one of the pastors at the church, and I was doing a lot of, a lot of the leadership, and he was one of the team leaders in the church. And uh, being a 20-something guy at the time, I just was like full speed ahead all the time at the church. It couldn't happen fast enough. It couldn't change fast enough. We needed to, to overhaul issues and systems, and we needed to, team leaders needed to have more aggressive goals, and we needed to push, 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 push. And that was like, I'd, just, I'd get frustrated about it. And, and sometimes I got frustrated with Owen and with others that they were just kind of dragging their feet or just kind of letting things be the way it was, the way they were. And, uh, and I remember one day sitting in my office and I hear a little, heard a little knock at my door at the church. And Owen comes in. He goes, Owen, he says, Mark, you got, got a couple minutes? I just want to talk with you. I was like, sure. 
know. And so he sat down across from me, and, and he just began to kind of confront me on some of the stuff in a loving way, in a loving manner, and just like in a tone that was just like, you know, there's a tension there in our relationship, and I just want to kind of ad- address this right here. And he began, he began to say, you know what, Mark, I think, you're, uh, I think pastors are supposed to be called to be shepherds, and it kind of feels like you're doing more driving of the sheep instead of leading the sheep. <laughs> Ouch. Kind of hurt. But it was true. And he said it in a loving tone where I couldn't, I couldn't reject that. And again, he was speaking truth in a time where I maybe didn't want to hear that, that truth. But then he went beyond that, and, and, uh, and he, he, he walked out of the office, and it was kind of like, that was kind of odd. And, and he quickly came back in, and he had a basin of water and a towel. <laughs> now, this is kind of weird, but he said, can I wash your feet? And he said, you're still one of the pastors here. You're one of my pastors. You're my friend. I tell you the truth, but I'm also here to serve you. And he washed my feet there in my office. Was it a little weird? Yeah. You know, men usually don't go around washing each other's feet. <laughs> but it embodied Christ to me. And you know what? That relationship still stands. We don't live in the same place. We live far away. But whenever we connect, there's a strong bond there. There's a strong relationship there. And I think it's these kind of friendships that embody these four elements that really allow us to be fully who we are, to not have to feel like we have to hide things, to break down that facade and just to be open with one another. Now, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said this. He said, No greater love has one person for another than this, than to lay down their life for a friend. I mean, he said, this is, this is the, the, the most amazing love, that you would lay down your life for a friend. I don't know how many of us would do that. And I know to have the kind of friendships where I can be fully accepting of people, where I can always be present and serving, where I'm always ready to speak the truth or have the truth spoken into me, where I'm willing to forgive and, and go the long term, I am not capable of that. None of us are capable of that. And that's why our friendships are always going to let us down at some level. But we're not capable of it on our own, but we are capable of it with Christ. And here's somebody who modeled for us this ultimate friendship. And in Romans, it says this, that Christ loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. That's friendship. And he says, I call you friends. And so this morning, if you don't have a friend, or if you're struggling with the depth of friendships, the first friendship you need to seek, and that's there for you, that's available for you, is the friendship of Christ. Who's willing to say, I don't care about your past, in the sense that it's going to affect my relationship with you. I care about it and love you. I'm going to walk with you through it, and I'm going to speak truth into it, and we're going to go a new direction. I want to give you new life. And I wonder if some of you today just need to bring that first confession to Christ and just to say, God, here's, here's my life. I don't want to put up a fa- facade anymore. I, I want that relationship, that friendship. But I also wonder if practically some steps that some of you maybe need to take this morning is just to invite somebody out to lunch today. Right now, after church, you invite them to lunch. Maybe you go, I've seen you here at church. We've said hi. We've maybe even served on the same team. And we're always like friendly on Sunday mornings. Or, or maybe I've kind of forgotten your name. I'm sorry. I know it's been now, you know, we've, known, we've been here for like a year. And now it's really weird to ask you your name or whatever. Nobody else experienced that? Okay. Um, maybe just have permission to go, you know what? Let's go out to lunch. Tell me your story. I want to hear, no, hear more. Or maybe you invite somebody out for coffee. Or maybe somebody that's in your small group or that you're together with. You say, hey, let, let, let's get together and uh, let's talk. And watch what happens as you develop these kind of friendships. And let down that facade. Find that, 
that place where you can be loved and accepted. And watch what God can do in our church, in your life, the healing that can come, the joy that can come, the freedom that comes. And when we stick through it, it's amazing what God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, we all long for friendships. You've created us for relationships. And God, I love that you created us for the church, that you did not create us to be lone rangers, that you did not create us to go through this life in isolation, but that you wanted us to be surrounded by a body of people who are also seeking to follow you, trying to do the right thing, trying to live in truth and leaning in each other, on each other, serving each other. Father, may we be that community this morning. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here this morning who just is carrying a heavy weight of a past, that they feel they need to conceal and can't let anyone in and can't share with anyone in a weight that just is oppressive. Father, may they find freedom first and foremost from your love and acceptance this morning. And, and then, Lord, would they risk, would they take the risk to share that with someone else and to find the healing and the freedom that comes. We love you, Lord, and we just pray for rich, deep, true friendships. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, I'd just like you all to stand. We're going to sing a song. And as always, we have these worship spaces around the outside of our gathering area. And if you would like to take communion this morning as a way of just accepting that sacrifice that Christ laid down his life because you are his friend, you take communion. You take the cup as an example of the blood that was shed for you, the bread representing his body broken for you, and you just give thanks. Say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me and for loving and accepting me, forgiving me. Or maybe you want to light a candle. Maybe you're praying for a relationship that's been kind of intention severed and you want a restoration in that relationship. You want the light of Christ in that relationship. Maybe you light a candle on behalf of a friend or a friendship that you're seeking. Or maybe you just go back and you pray. I know Mary's standing back there. Maybe you kneel and you write your prayer request down and just lighten your heart and your load by confessing and and just opening up to Christ what's on your heart. Make this time yours to respond as you see fit.